Before we get into this episode, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love our show, please scroll down to the review section of your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. If you have a few more seconds, please also leave us a review telling us what you like most about our show. We read every single one of these and we appreciate them so much. This will also help us grow and get into the ears of those who love true crime and food as much as you do. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Welcome back, everyone. It's been a hot minute. (laughs) It has been a very hot minute. Lots has happened since our last podcast episode. Yeah, it's been about a month now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Yeah. we do apologize for taking such a long break, but... It was a bit necessary. Things have been Yeah, there was a good reason. Busy. Yes. Sarah, do you want to get into that a little bit? This is my PSA to all people with ovaries. <laughs> get mm-hmm. your ovaries checked out. I'm just going to give like the brief, very brief version of this story. It's a long story. But I had an emergency surgery to remove a very large cyst on my right ovary that had rotated in my stomach and twisted my fallopian tube cutting off blood flow to the ovary. Mm -hmm. And it was incredibly painful. I do not recommend (laughs) at all. So that is pretty much what happened in like the simplest terms. The whole thing was really frustrating though. Like from, I'd been trying to get into a gynecologist for months and I'd been living with daily discomfort and bloating and some back pain just because the size of the cyst was 15 centimeters. That is wild. I know, it's wild. She said there was a liter of fluid in it. A liter? Yeah, that's a bag of milk. Oh my gosh, that's bigger than my water bottle. That was in me. I know, it's 
I am alarmed, even still when I say it, it doesn't feel real or like it happened, but it did. And I had like not a lot of indications that it was so severe. Mm -hmm. Like my menstrual cycle was totally normal. I did have some pain and discomfort, but again, it wasn't limiting my daily life in any way. Right. So ladies, people with ovaries, get your ovaries looked at. Ask for an ultrasound if you're having anything like even mild pain, even mild bloating, just just get it checked out. That's my PSA of the day. Yes. And I'm so glad you're okay. I'm sure everyone's very glad Thank you're you. okay. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if you mentioned this because I feel like I've heard the story a couple of times now, but yeah. did you say, did you mention that you had the ovary saved? Everything is good. The ovary is safe. Everything is good. The ovary is safe. Yep. Everything is good. I essentially had a C-section though. Mm-hmm. And this has totally opened my eyes to like how major of a surgery a C-section mm-hmm. is. And how people who have a C-section just have to raise a baby after. Yeah. Like, all I've been doing for the past week is sleeping. Yeah. I've been horizontal on my couch watching Grey's Anatomy and (laughs) doing pretty much nothing. And, like, that is enough for me. And I still have to nap in the middle of the day. So I don't know how people have a C-section and then take care of another living I know. You were just talking about how your cats were annoying you. Yeah, my cats are too much for me to handle. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I can't even can't even handle my cats. But that's because they want to lie on my belly all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a off limits. Yeah, snuggle sessions. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us. I'm definitely going to go and get my ovaries checked out now. <laughs> yeah, get them checked. Advocate for yourself. Yes, for sure. I feel like that is a really good <laughs> message. Like when you know something feels off, feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Because it's COVID and because like the system, healthcare system is so burdened, I almost felt like I didn't want to burden it with this smallish issue. Right. Do you know what I mean? And like my doctor was only taking phone appointments. The gynecologist wasn't even taking phone appointments. They were just taking voicemails. And so the whole thing felt like I just felt a little bit lost in how to navigate it. And if I hadn't been able to get that emergency surgery, I would be on a wait list that's over nine months to get that cyst removed. And you probably would have lost an organ. You would have lost. Absolutely. An ovary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. which is so messed up to think about, like, had you actually waited the amount of time allotted to have the surgery done? Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I just, I feel really lucky the way it happened, but I also now feel like I can so clearly see, like, the impact that COVID has had on our health system, Mm -hmm. how women's health falls through the cracks Mm -hmm. time and time again, and also, like, how pain in the emergency room, I didn't feel like my pain was taken as seriously as it actually was. right? Because I wasn't, like, I'm not particularly vocal when I'm in pain. I'm more like a shutdown kind of person. Yeah, curling a ball. Yeah, and, you know, if I had waited even another hour before that surgery, I think I would have lost the ovary. Oh, my gosh. So lots of reflection for me this week. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) I wanted to keep it brief, but there's just (laughs) so many lessons from this whole situation. Advocate for yourself, your symptoms are real and they matter. Mm -hmm. And um, even if they don't feel super significant, like I kept thinking that, you know, I was bloated, but my cycle was normal. I wasn't in excruciating pain. I didn't think it was so serious and it actually was. Yeah. So if things feel abnormal in your body, get them looked at. Yes. Period. I like it. Good moral of the story. (laughs) Thank you. And on that note, we're back because we're healthy again. (laughs) We're back. We're healthy. We've got all our ovaries here. 
And we actually have like a really interesting episode that we've been sitting on for Mm -hmm. about a month now. But yeah, so today Sarah is going to talk to us a little bit about weight bias and stigma, very Mm -hmm. important topics. Then I'm going to cover the story of Gwen Shamblin, who founded the Christian weight loss program, The Way Down. And this program is so, so freaking problematic that many people actually consider it to be more of a cult than your typical diet plan. Oh boy. And we'll get into it. But the kicker is that the group leader of this program is actually a registered dietitian. So I feel like it really (laughs) hit home for me and it might for you too, Sarah, and some of you listening. But I mean, you're an RD already, Sarah, which we haven't even talked about, but I'm also an RD, almost an RD as well. Almost an RD. But Sarah got her designation this week as well. It's been a really freaking busy month for you. It has (laughs) been the craziest week. I became a registered dietitian on Thursday. I officially got my license. So yeah, it, it is very upsetting to me that the leader of this group was a registered dietitian, but it just shows that, you know, within every profession, there are people that go astray. Yeah. I'm sure you'll tell me all about it. I actually know very little about this weight loss cult Mm -hmm. or plan. It's a cult. It's a cult. Let's just call it what it is. I've seen it in the news. I've been intentionally avoiding it because I know you're going to tell me all about Mm -hmm. it. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. It's a very interesting story. I'm excited to tell you about it too. Don't judge all RDs by this one RD. (laughs) No, for sure. And like, I also want to say too, there's like so many different types of RDs. Obviously, this one. Mm This RD is not necessarily the best human, she just generally. Represent us. But there's, yeah. There, yeah, there's quacks in all different areas of healthcare, of life, of everything. Mm-hmm. But also to the fact that there's just like an RD for everyone. I feel like out there, there's people that specialize in so many different areas, and yeah. she did definitely practice out of her scope, which we'll get into like a little bit. Mm. But she did appeal to a lot of people because she was focusing on religion as a way to deal with weight loss. Which is not evidence-based. It's it's not. (laughs) The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently produced podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So I'm going to start off today's episode by talking about weight stigma. But before I do, it wouldn't be right for me to dive into this massive, important topic without first acknowledging that I am someone who benefits from thin privilege. I as well. I'm someone who benefits from thin privilege. And I feel like we we might not cover this topic perfectly, but we are definitely going to do our best. Yeah, we'll try our best. It's a very complex topic. And it, once I feel like once you're aware of weight stigma mm-hmm. and the impact it has on a societal level, the learning is really endless. So I do think it's important right off the top to identify that we have thin privilege because by virtue of having thin privilege, we've never really had to experience external weight stigma in any significant way. Mm-hmm. And if that sentence just sounded like a jumble of like maybe academic concepts that you've never really heard before, thin privilege, external weight stigma, what the heck are these things? Don't worry, we're going to unpack them. So thin privilege is a term used to describe the experience of not being discriminated against for your body size. And I don't know if you've seen on social media, but sometimes the term thin privilege can get quite a bit of pushback. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The phrase itself seems to evoke some negative reactions. So someone with thin privilege can still have poor body image, they can still be teased for their body shape, and they can still have an overall negative experience in their body. Thin privilege doesn't make you immune from those experiences, but on a societal level, someone with thin privilege isn't going to experience widespread discrimination. So an individual with thin privilege will be able to walk into most stores and find clothing that fits them. They'll be able to go to the doctor's office for any condition and not be told that they need to lose weight. And they'll be able to get on an airplane and not worry about being able to do up the seatbelt or fit in the seats. So I actually asked Dan if I could share a story about this specifically. Dan, like you've met Dan. He's tall. He's like a presence. And he was boarding a flight, I believe it's to Mexico or from Mexico. This was before we were together. He essentially was asked while he was boarding to stand off to the side while other people boarded the flight. And once everyone was boarded, he went back up and he was like, hey, like what's happening here? And they quite literally said that the plane was over the weight limit and that he wasn't able to get on it. What? Yes. So he had to like wait for another flight. I think it was the next day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's awful. I know. Isn't it terrible? It was just Dan. Nobody else. What the heck? I know. And so I just, I oh feel like gosh. this is like a a very like serious example of how mm-hmm. this does happen. Now, this was like yeah. a number of years ago, probably like 10 years ago or so, but hmm. it happens. And I can't believe that. Yeah. It couldn't have been more obvious either what they were doing. Yeah. Singled him out, put him off to the side and uh, <laughs> kicked him off the flight. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is awful. Yeah. Yeah, and I've heard stories of people in larger bodies going to the doctor for, like, a headache and being told to lose weight, even though a headache is almost certainly not related to weight in that situation. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, there's a lot of, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about them, but weight stigma is directly impacting people's life on a daily basis. Thin privilege also means you can live your life without being burdened by negative stereotypes about people in larger bodies that stem from weight stigma. Weight stigma is kind of like the force that makes thin privilege a thing. So if you have thin privilege, that means you're moving throughout the world without experiencing weight stigma um, from other people or, or from systems. So according to the World Health Organization, Weight stigma is defined as negative attitudes towards and beliefs about others because of their weight, which are manifested by stereotypes and or prejudice towards people in larger bodies. Some of these negative attributes about people in larger bodies can include laziness, lack of willpower, a lack of moral character, bad hygiene, low level of intelligence, and unattractiveness. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But I can even just, like thinking about those characteristics and thinking about the shows we watched in the 90s and like the magazine covers like it's that that's the stereotype that is put forward anyways it was everywhere in the 90s and like even now i don't know why i'm talking about the 90s like weight stigma's done no it's everywhere still it just takes one trip to the comment section of like a body positive or even body neutral Instagram post or a TikTok video to see all the terrible things that people say on the internet, even today. It would be so interesting. And I don't know if you're going to get into this at all, but like, it'd be so interesting to do like a deep dive into the history of weight stigma and like kind of Mm -hmm. how it, it started because yeah, like years and years and years ago, it used to be seen as like a sign of prestige or wealth to live in a larger body Mm -hmm. because you were able to afford food and you were able to eat well. And so it's kind of strange how we've taken like a complete 180 turn. Yeah. The book Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison, she's a registered dietitian. It is, first of all, an incredible read, but she does this amazing historical perspective about how thinner body types evolved to be considered more desirable, Mm -hmm. even though in the past and in other cultures, curvier body types, larger body types are more desirable. Yeah. I did one of my placements in long-term care. It just ended like, what was that, last week, two weeks ago. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how they still use BMI to kind of categorize just like the different like weight classifications Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But it's interesting, like as you get older there almost becomes like more leniency in the BMI categories where you actually want to have some more weight on your body because it helps you live longer. It's protective. It's protective. It's a protective factor. Mm -hmm. And it's just really interesting that that isn't taken into consideration. I I, I don't agree with BMI being used for an individualized use, for individualized use. A sole determinant of health. Yes. But I just thought it was so interesting that when you do get into that older age Mm -hmm. bracket, that having some extra weight on you is actually seen as a good thing. It's a protective factor. Yeah. We're diving into this literature and this research. And as dietitians, I think it's so important for us to be aware of these, you know, the stigma, the research, the actual research, which is the research actually show about weight and how weight is like so far from the main or primary determinant of health. Mm-hmm. That being said, <laughs> the terms thin privilege and weight stigma can produce a pretty strong reaction from people. And a large part of that stems from the widespread belief that body size is exclusively a matter of personal choice. And while, of course, there are different eating patterns and different physical activity patterns that 
can impact size to a certain extent. There's also a lot of genetic variation in our bone structure, our natural shape, our comfortable weights or our set point weights. And just like we all have different heights, hair and eye colors, shoe sizes, all linked to our genome, our genetic makeup, there's also a lot of genetic variation in our body size and weight distribution. And then on top of that, there's also different medical conditions and different life experiences that impact your size and shape as well. Could you imagine that we tried to manipulate the size of our feet to fit societal standards? Yeah, or our height. Yeah. You can't change those things. No. So you don't even work on them. But for some reason, weight is considered totally different. And you actually can't accurately make assumptions about what someone is eating or doing for exercise just by looking at them. So when people incorrectly believe that those who are in larger bodies are just eating a certain way or not being active enough, they're actually projecting their own internalized weight stigma because in reality, they have no idea what that person eats or what their health status is, and it's none of their business. Mm -mm. So weight stigma shows up everywhere. It shows up in the workforce as employment discrimination, including during the interviewing and hiring process, in salary disparities, and people in larger bodies have been shown to receive less promotions, harsher disciplinary actions, and higher rates of employment termination. People in larger bodies are also significantly less likely to be put in a customer-facing position. It's also bad. Weight stigma is present in the media, of course. We talked about some examples, but like there are so many shows where the larger body characters are also the ones who are typecast as clumsy or lazy, lonely, messy. Homer Simpson is another classic example. Mm -hmm. And weight stigma also exists in healthcare. It can be perpetuated by physicians, nurses, dietitians, physiotherapists, and by fitness professionals as well. So in healthcare, certain characteristics based out of weight stigma might be projected onto larger body clients. So you might see labels such as lazy, weak-willed, non-compliant, resistant to change, things like that. And weight stigma in healthcare can also include hospital gowns, chairs, and exam tables that are too small. Mm -hmm. And there's also research that suggests that doctors spend less time talking with their patients that have higher BMIs and are more likely to misdiagnose larger body patients. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And because of these problematic and likely humiliating experiences, larger bodied patients are more likely to avoid going to the doctors altogether. So, so far, I've just talked about weight stigma as an external force, something that someone else or a system would project onto an individual, but it can also be internal. Internal weight stigma is what someone projects onto themselves, so their own negative thoughts and beliefs about themselves with regards to weight and size. And so someone with privilege living in a smaller body could also be experiencing some internal weight stigma through their own self-talk their poor body image and sort of like how they feel about themselves based on their perceived body size. Mm -hmm. Like weight stigma is everywhere and people in thinner bodies are constantly put on this pedestal of being like the ideal. And so if you don't look like what's being put forth as the ideal, I feel like this sort of internalized weight stigma can develop fairly easily. And both of these experiences, both internal and external weight stigma are associated with 
many poor mental and physical health outcomes. So increased feelings of shame, anxiety, depression, poor self-esteem, body dissatisfaction, and disordered eating. Studies have also shown that experiencing weight stigma is considered a serious long-term stressor that can increase the risk of chronic disease, which is only then exacerbated by healthcare avoidance and the increased risk of misdiagnosis. (laughs) So in summary, weight stigma is terrible and it's everywhere. And I feel like once I started learning about these concepts, it only becomes more apparent how prevalent it really is. It's everywhere. It's baked into our society in magazines, in the media, healthcare, academia, research, TV shows, influencers. It's insidious and it's not always obvious, especially to those that have thin privilege and haven't had to think about it all the time. But once you start to become aware, I feel like you can open this whole world of learning that feels kind of endless. And so in the show notes, I've cited some amazing references, including an article by Christy Harrison, also that book I mentioned, Anti-Diet. I just loved it and the way it was written. And the historical perspective is really cool too, very evidence-based. She also has a podcast called Food Psych. I love her podcast. It's good. (laughs) But there's also some other, like there's so much good literature out there written by people that have experienced weight stigma in a big way and... Yeah, I'll link a bunch of awesome resources in the notes if you want to learn more. That was a great intro, Sarah. Thank you. It's heavy, though. Oh, my gosh, it's awful. It's Yeah, it's heavy. It's awful. But I also feel like it's important to talk about, especially as we lead into a topic such Mm. as the topic of Gwen Chamberlain. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm stressed but excited. (laughs) Stressed in a good way. I feel like this story is going to rock my world. So a lot of my research for this episode came from watching like old news clips, interviews, reading news article updates. So it's it's definitely not the most evidence-based episode that we've ever done, but it's a story. So some of the references that I used include a 1998 Gwen Shamlin interview with Larry King, uh, articles Mm. in Spirit Watch and Baptist Press, as well as the Remnant Fellowship and Gwen Shamlin's websites. There is a recent documentary on this story or docu-series on HBO. I wasn't able to access it because it's not available in Canada because it's on oh, HBO no Max, way. which isn't a thing in Canada. Lame. I, know. I didn't know that. I tried. I even was commenting on, I went on Instagram <laughs> to their, um, like the documentaries yeah. Instagram page. And I was like, can I get this in Canada? And I commented on a bunch of photos and nobody <laughs> responded to me. <laughs> okay. I can't believe already that... She's been around 1998. She was on Larry King. Mm-hmm. So she's been around for a while. She has. Okay. okay. She has. I'm going to get comfy. <laughs> Please do. Okay. So who is Gwen Shamblin Lara? So she was born Gwen Henley on February 18th, 1955 in oh, Memphis, Tennessee. She's the same Tennessee. birthday as my mom. Really? Sorry, she's <laughs> the same birthday as my mom. Same year? No. Oh, no. <laughs> So she she actually never used like Henley, her maiden name publicly. And I had to do some serious family tree web sleuthing to figure out what it was. Her dad, Walter Henley, was a general surgeon, but I couldn't find her mother's name or much about her childhood online, which makes me wonder if she was born in a lab. <laughs> oh, no. Um, what we do know is that she was raised in a Church of Christ family and that her parents were apparently very religious. 
She initially wanted to get into medicine like her dad, but instead completed her undergrad degree in dietetics from the University of Tennessee and later did her master's in nutrition and biochemistry. So Hmm. she was essentially as qualified as you are or as I will be in a matter of weeks, which is a terrifying thought. Or does that mean we could go off the deep end at any time? We could, for sure. (laughs) We won't, though. (laughs) We won't. This podcast holds us accountable. (laughs) Plus, we're good people. Yes, we're we're good people, right? (laughs) Yeah. So Gwen then worked as a professor at the University of Memphis in the food and nutrition department for five years. So she was a prof. Um, Then she worked with the Memphis Health Department for another five years, where she focused on maternal health, child health, and obesity. Wow. She had a great career path going. Yeah, she did. Mm. In the meantime, she married her husband, David Chamblin, in 1978. And there isn't much on the internet about him either, other than the fact that he was very supportive of his wife's business ventures and even worked on some of them, like with her. In 1980, she began her own private practice where she offered one-on-one nutrition counseling services to clients. She noticed, like working with clients, that genetics, metabolism, and behavior modification alone couldn't explain why some people were thin, which is a very valid observation. As we know, body shapes and sizes are so individualized to each of us and influenced by a variety of factors within and out of our control, like you were saying, Sarah. Mm-hmm. But Gwen decides to latch on to one of the least evidence-based factors contributing to weight loss, if not the least evidence-based And that's religion. Oh, my goodness. Okay. (laughs) So in that Larry King interview from 1998, Gwen states that she had struggled with her own weight when she was younger and that she couldn't stop herself around food. It wasn't until Mm -hmm. she transferred her addiction. And I say that in air quotes. There's a lot of air quotes in this. So, (laughs) yeah. Air quotes don't translate well to the podcast. I know. I don't know how I'm going to communicate that. It's a quote unquote. (laughs) Quote unquote. So it wasn't until she transferred her quote-unquote addiction from food to an addiction to God that she lost the weight. Because that's how you get over addictions. You trans, you just translate them to something else. Exactly. Oh, dear. Okay. So she then decided to dedicate her life's work to the Christian-based weight loss program, The Way Down, which is actually a name that her husband helped her come up with. Okay. So it was her idea, though. The Way Down was her... Business idea? Yes. Okay. 100%. It was I want to just like, right at this point, I am feeling empathy for Gwen because she was suffering, like her relationship with food seems strained. It seems like she was having some personal challenges with it. I mean, she grew up in the 70s and 80s. I am sure weight science wasn't very evolved. And there was a lot of societal pressure to look a certain way. And so I have some empathy for her. Like, we don't know. I don't know. I have empathy. That's all I can say. Yeah. At this point in time, I feel for her. As did I. And I will touch on that a little bit because I also have some, had some empathy Mm -hmm. towards this woman for the exact same reasons. Okay. But yeah, at this point in the 90s, like, she does seem like a normal human woman who you could maybe have empathy for. She's this like stunning, like blonde woman. Like she has a huge Mm -hmm. smile, a Southern accent. And she really, like she's so captivating when she speaks. She's smart, like she's educated. She's educated. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's really well-spoken. And she kind of like comes across like almost like a politician. Like she's, she's obviously like media trained. 
But she's captivating, is all I'm trying to say. Okay. But as time passes, her most notable feature becomes her hair. Yeah. And I just want to talk about this specifically for a second because I do feel like the hair gives a little bit more away. And I linked a photo in my notes. I don't know if you can see it. it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to post this on the Instagram page because I feel like it's important. It's a (laughs) lot of hair. It's a lot of hair. So yeah. So Gwen's hair essentially gets more and more voluminous as the years go on to the point where it's like pretty like comically large. It is comically large. But I think that this goes beyond. I want to touch it. You what does it you? feel like? It's probably crunchy. It's probably so much hairspray. Yeah, very crunchy, very tangly. Oh my goodness, it's so tall. It probably gives her like a half foot more height. Oh yeah, yeah. Six inches yeah. for sure. Yep. Okay. But like I do think that this like kind of goes beyond some weird like vanity thing. Mm-hmm. And I do almost wonder if this is her kind of masking some insecurity that she might have. Mm-hmm. Because she, her hair gets bigger. She starts wearing more and more makeup to the point where, like, mm-hmm. more recently, she's wearing, like, stage makeup in most of her photos and, like, YouTube channel videos. And you never really see her any other way after the early 2000s. So while she does get up to some pretty terrible stuff, it does make you start to wonder about her own body image issues and what she might have been going through at the time. Totally it does. But at the same time, lots of us have body image issues. Not all of us start cults. Oh, yes. I am not (laughs) making excuses for her because the harm that she does to others does not make up for it. Outweighs any sort of personal suffering. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So in 1986, Gwen officially founded the Way Down Workshop, which was basically an extension of her private practice at this time. So it's a weight loss program, but she designed it around not limiting food groups and also not focusing on exercise weigh-ins or calorie counting. So it's kind of the start of this like anti-diet diet culture, which is obviously Hmm. so prevalent now. But while the Way Down doesn't blatantly focus on limiting food groups, or calories, it does aim to help clients develop the self-discipline to only eat when they are hungry and to stop when they are full. So there's still Mm -hmm. some elements of limitation or like portion control involved. Yeah. And putting all the onus on the individual. Exactly. Instead of the environment and, you know, any sort of external forces. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, like her philosophy is a religious one. Basically, it's that we all have this void in us that we need fulfilled. It's a void that God instilled in us so that we look for Him, but that many people get lost and instead fill their God-shaped void with food, drugs, alcohol, porn, or like other vices. But the philosophy states that if we can just find God instead, our desires will be refocused to be similar to the desires that Jesus had. And Jesus said that food was to do the will of the Father and to finish His work. So basically, to sum it up, when you're hungry, Gwen advises that you first reach for the Bible before you reach for food so that you are deemed more holy. Oh my God. No. Yes. And I feel like it's not as intense or as in your face at first. Like, she really does kind of come across like she's trying to help people. It's almost like her messaging could have been okay, like not limiting whole food groups, not really calorie counting, but I don't know. It's not good. Yeah. It's kind of like she's trying to instill intuitive eating 
strategies with a religious perspective, but that get too intense. Okay. Okay. I love, I love that synopsis. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that before, but that's kind of what it is. <laughs> okay. So when Gwen started the program, it was fairly small. And the first seminar was actually held in a mall in Memphis. But then in the early 90s, she began hosting the sessions at a Baptist church. It was now a 12-week program with guided audio and video of Gwen preaching her weight loss methods. And by 1996, the program was used in over 5,000 satellite churches. And some people even hosted the meetings in their homes. Wow. So the company at this point had 40 people on staff. And then Gwen gets her first book deal for The Way Down Diet, where she emphasizes her philosophy. Apparently, it's sold over like a million copies since then, uh, which did help make The Way Down one of the most popular weight loss programs in the world by the mid-2000s. This is where things start to get a little bit twisted because Gwen starts practicing even further beyond her scope. And I know we've definitely talked about this on the podcast before, but as a dietitian, you have to follow specific standards. And we do have like a pretty strict regulatory body that's in place to protect the public. So for Mm -hmm. instance... Like if I, in my practice, started offering a service beyond my scope, like massage therapy or something without being a massage Mm -hmm. therapist, I would probably lose my license. So I find it hard to believe that her regulatory college, which is either like provincial or statewide, uh, was okay with her focusing on religion for weight loss, which is not evidence-based, as we said. Absolutely. I also find it strange that they were okay with her dabbling into treatment for things like addiction, so like drugs, alcohol, yeah. sex, which were a pretty big focus in some of her like seminars and lectures and also in some of the chapters of her subsequent books. Interesting. You're right, because that is so beyond our scope as dietitians. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if she ever got reported or if like, you know, why would she have even kept her license as a dietitian if she wanted to practice in this kind of unregulated way? Yeah, I don't know. And maybe Mm -hmm. the regulations, the things we need to abide by, maybe they've evolved since then. Maybe she was the the reason why. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I didn't get into like that because it was Texas, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't get into like what the regulations were for dietitians at that point. But it's surprising because it seems like she maintained her license throughout this whole thing. Interesting. Yes. So in 1999, Gwen founded the Remnant Fellowship which was essentially a small gathering in the Waydown building. But in 2002, Gwen purchased a 40-acre piece of land with her own money, and she developed a church on it. The church membership sat at about 1,000 people, but Gwen would live stream her services most Wednesdays and Saturdays with thousands of viewers across the world. I want to say like tens of thousands, maybe even like 100,000. She's pretty entrepreneurial. She is indeed. So before the construction of the church, Gwen claimed that half of her money went to the government and that the other half went to keep the program going. And she emphasizes multiple times that she doesn't take a salary, which I feel like goes against what you just said. Like she's business savvy. Yeah. So it's not very business hmm. savvy. I don't know. Maybe she does come from like immense family wealth, but there's very little explanation about her lavish lifestyle and her collection of like multiple properties And her workshops and books are bringing in like so much money. Yeah. Then when she creates the Remnant Fellowship Church, her company suddenly becomes tax exempt. Yeah. Red flag. So just like things to think about. She's saying that she's not taking a salary. And then she also turns her 
her company, her brand into a religious institution. Hmm. So with the church and growth of the fellowship, Gwen's beliefs started to get like a little bit more intense. So members who would lose weight quickly were praised and those who failed to lose weight were perceived as having like a failure of discipline or obedience. So you're basically deemed a sinner if you ate beyond hunger because you were worshiping your food rather than worshiping God. Major red flag. The biggest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's gross. Oh my gosh. It's really gross. So she also frames weight loss in like this super strange way where members will report on their success, air quotes again, by saying things like, God took 25 pounds from me. Oh my gosh. As if God is like rewarding these members for their dedication and not wow. others. Wow. This is awful. It's putting all these feelings of like failure onto the individual. So they'll just blame themselves. And it's this is like the classic diet cycle in even made even worse because people are really thinking that God is involved and that they're maybe not worthy or they're failing in the eyes of God, which is probably adds extra layers of shame onto it. Yep. I'm going to read you a quote right now that's going to make your head explode. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is a quote from an article in the Spirit Watch. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like show you where Gwen's mind is at. So this is the author quoting Gwen. If you look at National Geographic magazine pictures taken in third world countries where food is not the addiction, I'm not referring to pictures of starving people. You will see that God made people's bodies to be lean. Gwen writes in The Way Down Diet, she doesn't believe that there is such a thing as genetic predisposition to fat. Let's go back to the Holocaust, she suggested to me, to the concentration camps where there was less food. What person genetically predisposed to obesity was in there out of millions and millions that died? When they ate less food, they became emaciated. Whoa. And I'm just going to let that resonate because it's f***ed up. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Need to like decompress after that quote. That was insane. Yeah. Nothing mentioned about health here though. Mm Mm-mm. No. When you're in a ter- the literally the worst situation possible, without food, without energy to sustain life, you become thin. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Yeah. It's really bad. I'm sorry. I should have, like, prepared you I'm for that. I'm pretty speechless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish I had, like, written a thesis about how <laughs> terrible that is in so many different ways. Wow, that's really shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. And it shows her point isn't, like, health. It's not promoting health. mm It is purely based on the aesthetic quality of thinness. Yeah, her mind is not in the right place, obviously. And I think that she is trying to like essentially prey on women specifically, but also men Mm -hmm. who also are a part of this culture. Yeah. The conditions apparently became so bad at the church that a number of her employees filed a lawsuit against her for religious discrimination claiming that Gwen required her staff to attend church services as a part of their employment. At least 35 employees were pressured to quit their jobs or fired because they would not conform. Others claimed psychological, emotional, and physical abuse. When under oath for this trial, Gwen admitted that she and her husband David did in fact profit from the church, which you probably remember she had Mm -hmm. previously denied. Which is ridiculous. Of course she's profiting from this church. Of course she is. How do you think she affords all the hairspray? All that hairspray. (laughs) And this isn't the last time that Gwen and her fellowship see the inside of a courtroom. 
a lot of the fellowship's messaging is around obedience. So obviously being obedient around food, but women were also meant to be obedient to their husbands and children obedient to their parents. The church went so far as to promote physical violence, like spanking or hitting their children when they disobey. It became common practice that members would use long glue sticks, like the ones that you put in a glue gun, but longer, because I feel like in Canada, we only have the short ones. Little ones, yeah. To hit their children. What? And they did this because it would hurt them, but it didn't leave much of a mark. Wow. Yeah, it's disgusting. This took the darkest turn so quickly. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm I, so My empathy shocked. is gone. Right? I regret saying that I was empathetic. Out the I window. take it all back. This is really messed up. Also, this whole idea of obedience around food and like this restriction mindset, this restriction mentality is really harmful for relationships with food long term. Mm-hmm. So I could only imagine the wake of thousands of people that she's leaving, like that that follow that come to her services and that are like hear her teachings, that then go on to a have a have a problematic relationship with food themselves, but also pass that on to their children, pass that on to the community members and like make comments. It like the the reach of her problematic messaging is probably, you know, still being felt all across Texas and the United States. For sure. And it it even goes beyond somebody's relationship with food. It mm-hmm. could go to their relationship with God, their relationship with themselves, self-worth, child abuse. <laughs> their poor children. It's so messed up and twisted. And it's also like, I just can't believe that it stemmed from a diet. <laughs> yeah, from a desire to be thin. Oh my gosh. So here's another quote of Gwen's that's from the most recent docuseries. So the way you show God that you are answering to him is through obeying your mother and your father on the first time. If you do it on the second or third time, or you are slow to obey, you are being your own God. And nobody playing around like that can ever go to heaven. If you do not obey mommy and daddy the first time, you will be taken out and you will be very, very sorry. End quote. Okay, I'm sorry. Is she preaching to children at this point? Yes. That sounds like she's teaching Okay, first of all, she's teaching children that they shouldn't have any sort of free will. Also, I just think it's messed up that she's preaching to children at this point. Yeah. Because I know it's coming, I'm just like, oh, just wait, you wait. Oh, God, okay. Okay, so... In October of 2003, two Remnant Fellowship members were charged with murdering their eight-year-old son (gasps) using what they claimed was advice from Gwen and Ted Anger, who was one of the church leaders. Sonia and Joseph Smith would lock their son, Joseph, in a room with just his Bible, so they wouldn't give him any food or water. No. Which was apparently recommended by the church. And I'm not just saying this. (gasps) This came from, like, audio clips from Sonia and audio clips from Gwen and this other guy, Ted. So his parents claimed that he had passed out during a prayer, but in reality, medical examiners had found that Joseph had died due to head trauma from being kept in a box that had, the lid had come down and hit him in the head. Oh my God, I feel sick. This is awful. I know. Eight years old. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's so disturbing. And just a few months earlier, so in July of 2003, another one of the Smith children, 17-month 
old Millick died of sudden infant death syndrome. Mm. So investigators claimed they had wished that they had looked into this case further at the time, but they didn't have reason to be suspicious. So the fellowship supported them throughout the trial. And I assume that they did this because they knew that they were partially to blame. But Mm. three years later, both of the parents were charged and sentenced to life plus 30 years in prison. Good. But where are the charges for Gwen? Right. These are her tweets. Her teachings. Her teachings. Yeah. I know. That was awful. Please tell me it doesn't get worse. It doesn't get worse. But... It's going to get a little bit more worse. It stays terrible. It stays terrible. So in 2004, so as Joseph's murder trial is getting started, so his murder happened in 2003, it's now 2004, Gwen releases a weight loss program for children called The Last Mm -mm. Exodus, which targets youth between the ages of 8 and 28. I am so convinced that she hates children at this point. I think it makes no sense. Even just like from a PR perspective, why you would do this. Eight. Eight. Like eight years old, babies. A weight loss program for children called The Last Exodus. What is that name even? Oh my God, I'm so mad. Yes, but like not only did she release this terrible, terrible program, but she did it like within the same calendar year. Of murder, of of a totally, oh my gosh, I didn't even like make that connection. Yes. So, oh my God! What this move like basically tells me that it's a okay to abuse your children, but it's not okay to live in a larger body. It took, I, I think that is what it's saying. Mm-hmm. So it makes no sense at all, and I feel like just, just generally about this program, I guess more specifically about this program, like as mm-hmm. a dietitian, she should have some basic understanding of the implications of like putting children on diets. This is two thousand four. We're not stuck in the eighties. You know, Atkins and Speed era. Mm -hmm. This is, science has evolved. Putting children on diets is always a bad idea. Let them be children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was definitely research at this time. She was not practicing from an evidence-based perspective whatsoever. No. So the fellowship does have like a few less eventful years up until 2018 when Gwen leaves David, her husband of 40 years. The reason this is eventful is that up until this point, Gwen did not approve of divorce and advised many of her fellowship members that it was not an option for them, even in instances of infidelity or like reported domestic abuse. Now, there is Mm. some speculation around why we don't see or know much about David, even though Gwen was in the public eye for like basically their whole marriage. He didn't really like subscribe to Gwen's religious philosophies like 100% and because he lives in a larger body. Oh, interesting. He seemed so supportive of her and her work. And I think that he was even like the CEO of like The Way Down at one point. So it's just like a little bit um, confusing to me, especially like when you hear how the next marriage goes. But in their divorce, they split up the 18 properties that they own together, totaling over $20 million. And then Gwen also had to pay David like an additional... Three million in the settlement. So this makes me wonder like how much money they're really making, like how much they were benefiting off of the church, because that's an insane amount. And I I don't really know much about David's background or his family, Mm -hmm. but like Gwen's dad was a doctor. And I feel like even in healthcare, you can't you can't make this type of money. No, I have no doubt in my mind that she was making a lot of money off of her church weight loss cult. Yes. No doubt. So later in the same year, so in 2018, I think it was like two months later, 
Gwen marries Joe Lara, who is the actor that played Tarzan in the 1970s. And if you just scroll down to my notes, I added a photo for your own viewing pleasure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, he's very handsome. <laughs> We will also include that in the Instagram post. <laughs> um, but okay, this great hair. This wedding between Joe and Gwen is bonkers. It is it is just beyond my belief. Over the top. It's so over the top. I actually like if you look at that comment that I added there, that's the link. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch it, you can. And I highly recommend you do. But the wedding, it's in a theater. There's like a massive audience. Uh, there's like huge wow. archways of flowers, like flowers everywhere. Gwen's in this like Cinderella style gown. Should I watch it for some wedding planning inspo? 1000%. Perfect. <laughs> but like as somebody who's like planned a wedding that was like so much more low key than this, I don't know how they pulled this off in like two months because she had wow. just gotten divorced. I also can't believe that we're in like 2018 right now. Yeah. Just the timeline. Like, I feel like in my mind, all this happened in like the 70s, but no, it's very much now. Yeah. Very much now. Yeah. She still has supporters. Mm. Okay. So the reason I like mentioned like David's relationship with Gwen in the public was because Joe and Gwen, they do everything together. So interviews, Mm. like the services, like anything public facing, they seem to be together. And it's just such a contrast from the way that... Gwen displayed her relationship with David, which is strange. So, like, I just don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe David was, like, a very private person or is a very private person. I just don't know. A lot of Mm. speculation around that. Okay, so on May 29th of this year, so one day before my birthday, Gwen, Joe, and five other passengers boarded a small plane, apparently headed to a mega rally. But while they were flying Ugh. over Percy Priest Lake in Tennessee, something went wrong with the plane and it went down. Everyone oh my on gosh. board died, including Gwen, Joe, and Gwen's daughter's husband, Brandon Hanna. The plane belonged to Joe and it was suspected that he was flying it, but apparently nobody on board was actually like certified to fly it. So both mm-hmm. Joe and Brandon did have their pilot's license, but neither of them had the proper training for that plane. And there's not much else known about this whole situation. So Gwen died this year. Yeah. In a plane crash. A few months ago. This story is HBO Max. If you are listening, I need access to this documentary (laughs) tonight. (laughs) I can't even like tell you if it's good or not because I didn't, wasn't able to see it. It has to be with a story like this. The twists and turns are wild. I have heard that they don't really focus on some of the more interesting aspects that we would probably find interesting. Like they don't really focus on the nutrition, the, nutrition, the fact that she was actually educated in this area um, mm-hmm. and chose a very unique path for herself. Yeah. Well, education doesn't stop you from being a psychopath. Nope. Or a sociopath. <laughs> Does not. Okay. So Gwen's children, Michael and Elizabeth, they're now running the Remnant Fellowship. They're like in their 20s or 30s now. So we will see how that goes. And news reports that were released like literally days ago, so at the end of October, they reported that Gwen didn't leave anything to the Remnant Fellowship in her will, which seems so, so strange because she built this from the ground up. It was her whole life and she didn't leave them any money. So again, it just makes you wonder, was it more of a front for her business? Wow. I'm so excited to see how this unfolds. 
in the media over the next couple months. And like, because I have a feeling we're not done hearing about this. No, we're not. And so, okay, again, to mention the docuseries that I never watched, um, (laughs) they released, I think it was three episodes in September. And then because of the plane crash, it essentially affected the way that the story was told and the end of the story because they had already wrapped everything up when the plane yeah. crash happened, they decided to release two episodes next year. Um, so they're going to, okay. I think, follow up with the story and figure out kind of what happens. Wow. This has totally blown my mind. Right? Yeah. I'm angry. I'm shocked. I am upset just thinking about all the people that this cult, and it is a cult in my opinion, has impacted mm-hmm. in a negative way. I know. Wow. Yeah, a little boy who lost his life because the teachings were taken in this like terrible, so dark, terrible way. It's really dark. Yeah, I don't know. It's mentally challenging to like think about this because I feel like she she transferred this like super unhealthy relationship that she had had with food. She masked mm-hmm. it as being a healthy relationship with food and God, but then right. it just blew up. And now there's probably yeah. so many people that are impacted by this. Not only with their food, but just with their lives. Yeah. Ah. Oh my gosh. Really good job covering that. I'm going to be digesting that for the rest of the day (laughs) and thinking about this. That was such a wild story. I know. My mind is still blown. (laughs) My mind is blown. Also, the hair. If you haven't, if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about when we say the hair, Google Gwen Shamblin. It's next level. Don't Google her. Hair like that says cult leader. Go to our Instagram page because I I found a photo. It wasn't a photo. It was like a montage of photos of her Mm -hmm. like in the 80s until like the the, the 2000s. (laughs) And it's like the evolution of Gwen Shamblin's hair. And it's (laughs) really quite interesting. Wow. Good job. Anyways, yeah, that that concludes the story of, uh, I guess, the most notorious dietitian. Hopefully. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I'm mad she's a dietitian. I, I know. I'm mad she's a dietitian. She I just too. feel like we're educated so much on being evidence based and being safe and inclusive and, you know, non judgmental. And then, I mean, I know she was, she was trained in a totally different era, but it just makes me angry. I'm mad that she's a dietitian, but I'm also mm-hmm. mad at the system that allowed her to continue practicing as a dietitian. Yeah, that's really curious to me. I don't think it would fly in Ontario. No, it would not. We no. like can't even use the term RD to be. Yeah, like, I know. We're about to be dietitians because we're in school because it's like an infringement. I don't know if it's an infringement, but like I actually don't know why we can't use it. But there's so many like strict guidelines that we, we have mm-hmm. to abide by. And we are essentially governed by this other body, which is great because it protects the public. But I just don't understand yeah. how she got away with it. I don't either. All right, Sarah, do you have a question for me for next week? Two weeks from I now? I do. Yeah, two weeks from now. Have you ever tried alkaline water? Not Do you know on what I mean? A- that like those boxes of flow water? I was going to say not on purpose, but like if you're referring to like bottled water, no. But like couldn't water just naturally be more alkaline or no? I don't know. It's neutral naturally. Fully neutral. Seven, pH seven. What if you have like minerals and stuff in it? I don't know, but I'll let you know <laughs> next week. <laughs> but n- water isn't 
isn't ever acidic. Yes, of course. Regular drinking water is neutral, but I feel like they give out those boxes of alkaline water all the time, which to me symbolizes that not many people are just buying it. Yeah, because it's free. Yeah, I can just picture like being somewhere and they always have like free boxes of that water. Yeah, I know. It's it's a very weird concept. It's like when you used mm-hmm. to go to things in like university and they used to give you like energy yes. drinks that you'd never heard of before and you never 100%. heard of again. <laughs> yes. But for some reason, like <laughs> yeah. alkaline water is like just trying to hang on so hard. Totally. It's always, I was, that's exactly what I was picturing is like fresh welcome bags would have alkaline water in them. And you'd be like, okay. With like a tab. Remember tab? It was like, no, it's tab. It was called tab. It was supposed to be like an energy drink for women. Oh my God. Yeah. That's lame. Pink, I believe. Yeah. And it probably cost more than just a regular energy drink. Yeah. It was a pink tax. Low calorie pink energy drink. Oh my God. Get out of here. Okay. I think that's enough for today. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. I have so many questions about how you make water alkaline. So study up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Get your ovaries checked and don't join a diet cult. Mm -mm. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Unsavory Podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.